Welcome, you're listening to Break the Cycles. My name is Yun. And it's your boy Sal. We're motorcycle enthusiasts, sharing with you our experiences on the road, stories of our motorcycle travels, and the lessons we've learned along the way. Welcome to Break the Cycle. My name is Jan and I am here joined by my co-host Farida and we are joined today by BJ Hessler. She is a longtime healthcare administrative professional turned entrepreneur. BJ is the founder and head coach of DC Dirt Camp and an off-road motorcycle training school outside of Washington, DC. BJ has been riding for over 25 years. She is an MSF certified dirt bike coach and has developed an adventure bike curriculum based on her experience training under several adventure coaches. In 2015, BJ toured Bariloche, Argentina to Ushuaia on a BMW F700. Welcome, BJ. Thank you, thank you. So, of course, I hear that you've been writing for 25 years, and I'm like, wow, tell us about that. (laughs) Well, obviously, I started when I was about three, because, you know... (laughs) I'm that young. No, not at all. Uh, I'm 42 now. So I started um, as early as I could legally. I actually started on road with the MSF um, training program back in upstate New York when I was in high school. Saved up my pizza delivery money and went and did that. There must have been some forgery going on. I don't recall, but I can't imagine how I did that as a minor and my parents didn't know. (laughs) Oh, wow. So Yeah, there was that. I got my license early on. And my dad didn't know until I came back from college, like four or five years later with a motorcycle that I had a license. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, what was your first bike? Um, my brother and I actually shared a Suzuki GS 500. So we parked at a neighbor's house and, uh, we would go for a lot of jogs that summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So yeah, my first bike that I didn't have to share though was a uh, 2001 SV650. And at the time I thought it was enormous and it was like one of the first years of the nakeds. And, you know, that was the beginning of that whole craze and brought that one home from Boston to upstate New York. My dad was like, whoa, I didn't know you rode. And then his next thing was, how'd you pick out a great motorcycle without asking me? He's a total gearhead. So he was like, what do you mean? What? (laughs) (laughs) You did this on your own? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. SV650. I told you, Frida, it's a good bike. I I just sold one. Unfortunately, I actually sold a 2000 that I hung on to for the last like 18 years. And it was just collecting dust. And I was riding it in just the Tacoma Park parades. And that was about it because it was blue and I had red pants and it was Fourth of July. So I was like, oh, that's my Fourth of July bike. I was like, that's really decadent, BJ. You should really not have a parade specific motorcycle. Yeah, I have a soft spot for the SV. That was uh, my bike. I had a 2003. Um, nice. And as you said, it's like big, but then so reliable and so good. <laughs> but then- yeah, it felt big, but yeah. Yeah. But once you're on the road, it just feels right. I always yeah. felt it was big in the garage, but then you're on the road and it's just right. I've struggled with this whole thing a lot. It's the low-end torque. I, My opinion is the low-end torque of the V-twin and that particular V-twin, it just rolls up so quick that you don't feel like you have to 
wind it up while you're balancing on your tiptoes as a smaller person. And I don't know, it sounds even funny to me thinking of that now because I've gotten onto like crazy taller bikes since then that now I'm like, oh yeah, I just really didn't have a concept of one footing a motorcycle back then. Yeah, I actually just saw mine 2007 uh, SV as well. Yeah, my fear was that if it sat in the garage any longer, I was going to start thinking I had a track bike and I would get into that too. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's not enough days in the year to ride as is. So I got to stick to the genres I'm already invested in. That's uh, exactly how I saw it when I saw mine too. Yeah. Even when you make riding your job, let me tell you, you still don't get enough seat time. (laughs) Well, BJ, tell us about your Argentina tour. Oh, it was such a gateway drug. My dad did me the most um, incredible disservice, I suppose, but it was an incredible opportunity. He and my brother had gone to um, Prudhoe Bay, Alaska on bikes about five years prior. And so he wanted to see the other end of the earth with his other kid. So for his 70th birthday and my 35th birthday, we went down to... Ushuaia by way of um, started in Buenos Aires, flew into Buenos Aires, and then flew to Bariloche a couple days later and met up with a tour group. And it was just an incredible Got Rocks tour that I probably will never be able to afford ever again. But it was an incredible experience to be able to just have everything taken care of and get to ride a reliable bike with a support truck mm-hmm. that had a extra bike with us, um, two incredibly talented guides and, uh, just a really top notch organization. Um, quick plug for airs adventures. If you ever get a chance to see the world through their tours, don't pass up the, the chance. They were fantastic hosts in all ways. And, um, yeah, the, so I had this fear of being on an F700GS because I knew they were a little bit, um, not necessarily top heavy per se, but heavier and taller than most of the bikes I had been riding up to that point. I had had several different street bikes by then, but no off-road bikes. And um, so I had all this grand plan that while people were having their first like dinner together as a group, I would sneak out and like go ride around the parking lot and figure it out. <laughs> apparently the whole group decided they were going to do that before dinner. So everybody just sort of went out and started riding and it was like, okay, kickstands up, let's go. And <laughs> I was so freaked. But as soon as I got it moving, I was like, oh, this is just two wheels. This is okay. I know how mm-hmm. to balance. This is all right. But a lot of the tour um, was paved, unpaved, paved, unpaved. And the, the unpaved stuff made me nervous and made me feel like I didn't really understand what I was doing. And I just felt like an incompetent world traveler. All of a sudden I had fancied myself kind of a worldly person. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, the whole world's not paved. What am I doing? I'm such a privileged American. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where it really, um, it really, I got bitten by the offer of bug on that tour, partly because the guides were just so badass in the way they could handle big bikes off-road, I was enamored. It might have helped that one of them was gorgeous South African guy with, you know, the accent and the talent to boot that I was like, oh, I want to ride like him when I grow up. 
envious <laughs> wife. But um, it just, it was really exciting to me to all of a sudden be challenged by motorcycles again. Motorcycling had just been kind of a side thing that I did once in a while. And I would commute here and there on bikes, but it was a solo sport. And I never thought about off-roading until that trip. So thanks, Dan. Now I'm hooked. <laughs> Where did you head down when you go from uh, from Argentina down to uh, Ushaya? Like, uh, which, which coast did you go? Uh, we actually zigzagged across the continent a couple times. We mm -hmm. did not take the famous um, Ruta 40 because it was super deep gravel and notoriously high winds and a mixed group, um, I think, wise on Air's Adventures part to not put a bunch of tourists in that situation as far as the riding goes. Um, now that I run off-road stuff, I can see why. That would have been a nightmare to try to keep circling back and picking us up with broken bike parts all over the place. So we traversed across and um, they had all these cool stops in different ports like Komodo Rivadavia. And we got to see the... Um, Perito Moreno Glacier, uh, the Spanish speaker in me just cringed at the way that came out. Like, it was so anglicized. Um, but yeah, we got to go back and forth, back and forth until um, Torres del Paine was probably my favorite place right before we went into the Fin del Mundo kind of area and Tierra del Fuego. And then you get Ushuaia was actually a pretty quick, nondescript stop. The only thing I really remember about it was a lot of shipping containers and the airport. And as soon as we buckled up at the airport, it started raining and we had not seen a drop of rain the entire tour. And we were just like super, super lucky that the weather held the whole time. The, uh, the, ver the very last bit to Ushuaia was, was, for me, it was cold and miserable <laughs> and windy. Oh. For us, it was gorgeous. I do remember my dad being very concerned about my, uh, what do you call it for a woman when it's bravado? <laughs> because there was this short little muscle-bound dude on the tour who would not not ride on the primary guide's ass. And I was pissed because I could see nothing besides him uh -huh. in every corner. And I was like, dude. And I asked him several days before the end of the tour, like, hey, how about we all switch it up so we all get a chance to ride with Klaus? Because I learned a ton by following another really talented rider. And the dude actually looked me in the eye and was like, if you can pass me, go ahead. Whoa. And I was like, my dad almost like held me back by the shoulders because I was like, the gloves are off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was on his ass for like two straight days. That every dinner, every stop, my dad was like, Beach, settle down, settle down, settle down. Yeah, I never did pass him, but I also didn't die. So I guess that'll still call it a win. Yes, very much so. You know, everybody gets rowdy by the end of the tour. Everybody thinks they're comfortable and they, they get complacent and start doing things they shouldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us about your uh, dirt camp. So fast forward quite a few years and uh, it feels like a lifetime ago that I was in Ushuaia um, because I was, I was a fairly different person back then. Um, I'd like to think I've really grown up a bunch since then, 
Um, but I came back to a job here in the Beltway region and um, just kind of was plodding along. At the time, I was I had a uh, my SV, and I shortly thereafter bought a let's see, it was maybe a 2013 um, versus 650, and I had my little pink buddy 175. It's um, a little scooter, a twist and go that I would commute to Tyson's on with my pencil skirts and my suits and stuff and try to act all proper, hide my real moto nature at the office. But everybody knew because I had terrible hair days, you know, you can't show up to an office with helmet head and not have people notice. Came back and I was a scooter rider and was having fun with a scooter group out this way um, on the East Coast. And I had never gotten into scooters um, with groups back in Denver where I had come from. So that was a ton of fun, but there wasn't a whole lot of challenge besides uh, Gymkhana, like the little contests when you're riding on a balance beam and a teeter-totter and stuff. And I actually cracked an engine case on my first buddy because I didn't quite get the teeter-totter concept down and I launched off of it and came down hard and actually broke the engine. So that was a bummer. And I realized, yeah, I should probably be on a bike with more substantial suspension. Um, so I started riding the Versus at all the dual sport events that I could find. I would pull up in my little um, Versa Nissan car, four cylinder with a two rail trailer towing my bike because I learned early on that if I showed up on the bike, I wasn't gonna ride very hard. And if I showed up and knew I could get the bike home in pieces, I would improve. So I started trailering to these dual sport events and camping in my, uh, you know, backing my little rig up in between the dually, the giant dually trucks and their, um, you know, what do you call those fifth wheels and all this stuff. And I was like, hi guys, I'm gonna put my tent between you. Okay. <laughs> they were like, who is this idiot on her 17 inch, you know, cast aluminum wheels? Why, what is she doing here? Like, um, this bike's paid for. Uh, that's what I'm going to ride. <laughs> so I think I kind of had to prove myself with a bunch of dudes again, you know, I mean, you know, Friday, this is like a boy's sport and I've had to um, definitely felt like I had things to overcome early on. And every time I went out, no one ever said anything to me, but there was this personal, like, you know, I got to do this for womankind kind of bullshit. But <laughs> I was putting on myself, so I never wanted to quit, never wanted to cry. Um, and I had gotten to do a bunch of other trainings early on. I started training, training, training. And I just loved getting instruction from anyone that would tell me seven different ways to keep a motorcycle upright. You know, I mean, there's only so many ways you can say it. And so I tried to hear it from anybody that would teach me. And um, then I bought a small displacement dirt bike. And as anybody who has a trailer and has gotten into riding knows, if you have an empty rail on your trailer, you end up with two dirt bikes. So, right. I went to go buy one and I came home with two because of that empty rail. So I started bringing friends out with me. Um, I had a CRF 150, a little Honda. And my second bike was a TTR 230 that I brought for friends because I thought that was such a big bike, which makes me giggle now because I ride a really tall KTM and it makes the TTR look like a child's bike. So, but I got to take some friends out 
just anybody I knew in the moto community who rode street. I was like, Hey, do you want to come try this with me? I should probably have somebody there to call 911. And Oh, by the way, this is a ton of fun. I got a bike. You got a helmet. Let's do this. And, um, seeing the joy that people came out of the woods with was almost better than the like super excitement I had myself. Just seeing all of us like middle age, probably midlife crisis beltway folks that make money to then play a half a day a week to then make more money to then try to afford to play and all that, the rat race thing. And just seeing that melt away from anybody in everybody's face when they, um, when they came out of the woods was priceless to me. So I was You're making me emotional here. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not uncommon in my life to be pretty wrapped up in my own mind and in existential crisis mode quite a bit. Just, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? And mind you, I was like 38, 39, rounding the corner on 40, thinking, oh my God, this can't be I have a lot of growing up to do. (laughs) Well, I was a... I was a little bit of a remedial student in that department, I think, having no desire to have kids and always playing and kind of being like the rough and tumble girl. I think I kind of stayed not immature, but relatively childlike um, for quite a while. So I was resisting falling into a nine to five for the rest of my life with a pension and safety and security. It just, to me, that sounded like the end. <laughs> I was like, that can't be it. That can't be why I've lived through all the things I've lived through. This just can't be it. So um, uh, paycheck by paycheck from that healthcare job, I started acquiring all the Hondas that I could find. And I went out to California and got certified as an MSF dirt bike school instructor. A lot of people don't even know that there is an actual MSF dirt bike school. MSF doesn't do much of anything to promote that side of their company. Um, we're kind of the ugly stepchild, I think, because their bread and butter business obviously is getting people licensed all over the country. Um, but there are a few schools out there, one of which is now DC Dirt Camp. So started an LLC and may or may not have borrowed some company resources like printers and time and internet access and all that stuff to, you know, launch the company. Like we all do. Come on. Who are we kidding? Um, and yeah, just started doing one weekend here and there. Uh, I rented land where I was already a member of the Washington area trail riders group down in King George, Virginia, right on the banks of the Potomac. And I had approached their landlord and said, hey, what's the deal with that adjacent, you know, 10 acres? Can I cultivate that? And here's the way I want to insure a business and here's the way I'm going to protect you as a landowner and all this stuff. And they fell for it. They thought it'd be a great idea. Um, so we've been going strong in that, um, in that exact area since uh, spring of 2018. So when I had my first students and that season had about 85 students maybe. And uh, a lot of those were probably reluctant volunteers. I don't think I even charged for the first dozen classes. Cause I was like, let me practice on you. It's scary. Oh God. You know, you got to get your shield down as a coach. And I wanted to make sure that I knew that I could coach before I started actually charging for it. 
Um, but I had been a snowboard instructor and a ski coach and a yoga teacher, and I was a competitive dancer growing up. So body awareness is second nature to me. Like knowing where I am in space is something that I'm is innate, and I find it easy to help other people feel that through the language that I use. I try to help them understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then I've actually started taking videos and pictures of people as much as I can in class to show them another example and another learning tool. Um, but yeah, then 2019, it got a little bit bigger. Um, I had a roommate at the time who wanted to jump in and help me out. So I flew him out to California and got him certified. And uh, he was also happened to be a fantastic motorcycle mechanic. So I felt like I was safe multiplying the fleet. And we got up to, I don't know, 15 bikes or so. Six, I lost count. Um, but I had a, about 180 students that second year. And I thought, okay, this is looking like a real thing. My beta test is over. Like this is picking up traction. So simultaneously, the summer of 2019, I had jumped ship from corporate America somewhat voluntarily. Um, it was an awkward parting at a consulting firm at that point that was super unfortunate that that kind of stuff still happens in this day and age. But there was a huge sexual harassment situation that I could have probably retired and never worked again if I had pursued legal action, but I decided this is the universe's way of helping me get off my duff and just jump in to DC dirt camp. So I did the math and I thought, well, perfect. I've saved enough money to make it through the winter. And by spring of 2020, I'll be able to open dirt camp again and it'll be no big deal. Oh. It was a big miscalculation. Because then uh, I was open about three days and the pandemic became a thing. And my, my training, I have actually a master's degree in public health. So I could not in good conscience like be like, oh, it's fine. We're outside, guys. Just do your thing. I closed and I told all my clients, you know, like, we'll see where this goes. But I had no plan. Um, and so I was closed for most of March, all of April, half of May. And then each season I've closed July and August because it's just too hot and no one wants to put on clothing, let alone protective gear and a helmet. Um, so even being closed all those months in the season, we still had over 400 students last year. Wow. And I lost my staff. <laughs> so I had to start all over hiring new people in 2020 and trying to figure out what a mission statement is, you know, all that corporate BS that I thought was so dumb. I'm now like, oh my God, I need my people to be on my page. I need a mission statement. Oh, who have I become? But I think it would be helpful. And I've got, um, so I started interviewing and stuff around Christmas, January. I got a couple people out in the field testing them out. I figured if they could hang and show up for dirt bike training in January and February, then they could tolerate the heat of June and July. <laughs> that That's was... awesome. So yeah, we're going gangbusters now. And um, I've been looking for land for about two years. 
trying to figure out where we can put this camp as it keeps growing because it's inevitable that we'll lose the land we're on sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, you know, a tricky catch 22 where you have to be a big enough company to afford the land, but you can't get bigger until you have the land. Mm-hmm. So it's been an interesting chicken or an egg. And I've been really enjoying parentheses, ripping my hair out and swearing a lot over the business process of running the company. Mm-hmm. But the teaching portion of it keeps me coming back to the kind of what the mission really is. Like, I just want to expose as many people to a safe, healthy, positive, you know, writing environment as I can and give them the tools and education and experience that will either launch them into riding for life or let them make an educated decision that they don't want to be a rider. I have a fair number of people that come to me and they're like, I got to learn to ride because my partner rides and I'm never going to see him on weekends or I'm never going to get to hang out with her on weekends because she's always off riding. So I got to learn. And that always makes me nervous at the beginning of class when I ask people's intentions and why they're there. So I'm like, man, if this isn't your thing, you're risking an awful lot to be here. And I don't think I've had, had probably, oh, I don't know, like 600 something students now. And I can remember two that I am pretty sure are not going to ride again afterward. One of them had never ridden a bicycle and her husband did not tell me that. And she did not tell me that at the beginning of class. So that was for anybody listening who wants to come to dirt camp, learn to ride a bicycle first. That is not something I am going to teach you. And it's not something I'm going to teach you in a group setting. And I'm not going to teach you in a group setting in one day. So that caveat is on my website saying, this is the only prerequisite that you can ride a bike. She was pretty upset, but she also was like, I get where I'm, where my limitations are now. I have something to go work on and I'll figure out if I want to do this later. And there was only one other person who um, was just emotionally overwhelmed. And I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of other issues at play, Hmm. not cycling per se, but this was, you know, a mom pushing a kid into it. And I think the kid was pretty nonverbal and on the, um, the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And the kid just seemed terrified all day. And I did every, everything I know to do to be a compassionate human. And I could not connect. And I found that super frustrating to be like, I am not going to force anyone to like motorcycles. That is so wrong. Fair. But oh, yeah, people usually have a great time and they all try to buy my Hondas afterward, especially. <laughs> In COVID times, because nobody can get their hands on bikes. Yeah. Well, so. your website says that you have the clutch capable, you have the uh, advanced, and you have the adventure classes. Yep. So tell me the difference. Who and and so, what's your most sold one? Do you, or is it equal? Thanks for asking. Yeah. So I have kind of a two prong approach to motorcycling. Um, I have sort of the my bread and butter business. I call it is the little bikes dirt bike classes for kids ages six to 11 and everybody else ages 12 to 80 is the age span that I've had so far um, working on bikes with clutches. And I take folks in a level one who have never touched a clutch before. And by the end of the day, have them turning and shifting and standing and um, 
all kinds of stuff and feeling pretty competent with a clutch. Then I have a level two that I offer to give those people a chance to ride again while they're waiting for their bike to get delivered or, you know, built or whatever they're doing. Um, And then I have my clutch capable group, which is really for street riders that have never tried loose traction situations, have never spun a rear tire and probably don't have access to a bike where that would be appropriate or legal. You know, if people do have access to a dirt bike, riding it in the streets of DC is not what I advocate. So I invite them to come um, play on one of my little bouncy bikes and see what it's like. And a lot of those folks are also motivated to be adventure riders. So I tell them, you know, come drop one of my bikes so that you never drop yours. And then I'll come back with their adventure bike. A lot of folks have come to my adventure bike classes that have not taken a clutch capable with me, but I really try to push it because the fundamentals are so much easier to get your head around on a 250 pound dirt bike and then amplify those skills on a 550 pound bike. And, uh, and I love, I love doing the ADV classes. They're so much fun. I've pulled from my training with a woman named Pat Jakes out of Colorado. She runs a company called ADV Woman. I've done training at the BMW Academy in South Carolina. I've done some training with the DART curriculum, Bill Dragoo's um, training through uh, Tourtech, and uh, various exposures through different coaches that I now know as friends has led me to create just kind of a hodgepodge of my own making. And like I said earlier, there's only so many ways you can tell somebody how to keep a bike upright off-road that I don't think any of us Sorry, my computer's making noise. I don't think any of us can make, um, you know, a proprietary language for how to do that. So I always try to just give credit where it's due. And, um, you know, the the ADV classes are super basic and everybody has told me that they got a lot out of it. And I've been a little bit surprised because as I get better as a rider, I don't think they seem that tricky. And I keep forgetting, like the further down the path as a rider I get, the more I'm forgetting how painful the learning curve was off-road. And that's made me a really effective coach early on is that I was pretty early in my dirt riding. So I would tell people straight up, you know, I'm not like a GNCC hair scramble winner or anything like that. I'm, I'm a year or two ahead of you. This is what I've learned. Don't start on a fat bike. Start on a little bike. Try this, try that. So it's been... It's been awesome, but it's been a full-time gig. And now I'm kind of like, man, I have never and would never, ever work this hard for a different boss. There's there's no amount of money in the world that can make me bust my ass the way I do for DC Dirt Camp, but it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Getting to just have people have a blast, feel proud of themselves, you know, like get get to a headspace where they're doing something they may or may not have understood that they could do has been endlessly rewarding. Not to mention, you know, the idea that I only have to work hard now and then I can breathe in like December. <laughs> It'll be okay. I'll take a breather eventually, but stuff keeps popping up. So who knows? I might be motoing all year round sooner or later. And that's what I wanted to ask you, other than DC Dirt Camp, which I personally find so impressive, and I'm just like, 
I just wish I took a class, but you know, you know why I didn't, but I do (laughs) April 4th, I think was my class, (laughs) but I do want to ask you, what about your own personal writing? How, when do you squeeze that in? What, where do you go? What, I know you also have a, a a Uh, pen, right? Yep. Yep. So you're on the road a lot. Slowly building out a um, Ram ProMaster 3500 that I can fit. I proved this past weekend I can fit four motorcycles inside. And I borrowed a buddy's trailer and threw down wheel chocks and e-track and risk racing, lock and loads, and managed to fit six bikes on his trailer. So I can do a little bit of a traveling roadshow, but um, I definitely prefer to go to our home location because I get about an hour a week of seat time before class. So I set up on like a Thursday night and I'll go down and try to get a lap or two in the woods on my own and then set up and then teach all weekend and then crash Monday mornings when I come home for finally a shower and some laundry. And then I get back into the groove and do all the administrative pieces of the company Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pack the van back up and do it again the following week. So my ride time has been limited Um, And that's one of the things that I'm like, okay, I need to hire people because this can't go on. Like I'm not riding enough for as much as I talk about riding. I'm starting to feel like a poser. (laughs) So I'm, uh, I'm actually taking this week off. I'm super excited that I leave Friday for um, Teleco Plains, Tennessee. And I'm going to be riding with a bunch of buddies from Pennsylvania out there for a week. And then on my way back, I'm stopping and getting some on-road professional training under my belt at a school called Moto Mark One in Burlington, North Carolina. Um, partly because I want the training and partly because I want to see how other motorcycle schools operate. Like, what do their business operations look like? Um, their compound, how they store helmets, you know, stuff like that is not trivial when you start scaling up to the size that we're becoming it's have you ever tried to move 12 motorcycle helmets it's not it's i mean picture 12 bowling balls that weigh nothing and can't touch each other (laughs) (laughs) it's a real pain i'm trying to envision that so do you have a box for each one or long ago threw away the boxes and i keep everything in a uh like a ventilated shed with um their you know the helmet bags and all that Mm. stuff on these a bunch of shelves organized by size and so when you try to move them now I just had like I had brain buckets like stuck between foot pegs and tires and then here and there all (laughs) smushed in around the bikes and you couldn't unload the bikes until you unloaded all that and yeah it's it's hectic but I'll I'm just super psyched to get my own ride time and it sort of coincides with when there's hunting restrictions at my rented property so we share it with some hunters in the area and I'm not about to argue with guys with guns. So we just don't run classes those dates. And uh, so I figured I'd take a minute to bounce and see if I could get some seat time too. I also just had a pretty massive thumb surgery in December and um, we'll see how that holds up. It's, it's not in the right place post surgery. Um, So that's a bummer. But I've been doing lots of hand PT and it actually seems to be the most, the best PT I've found is putting the palm side knuckle onto a grip and reaching for my clutch with the other fingers 
And that's the only time I can get my knuckle to cooperate is when it's around handlebars. So I was like, well, I'm just not going to tell the surgeon so much about that. <laughs> you know, the, well, that's the first thing that came to my mind when you said I'm starting to feel like a poser. And I'm thinking, no, she's not. I know she had thumb surgery. I know she's been riding with a cast on and a little metal piece in there. So no, I'm sorry. She's not a poser. <laughs> I kept the riding to a minimum. I was off the bike for three solid months. Um, that was torture. Uh, but I at least, you know, I'm getting back into the saddle and it's, it's really helping me ride with my feet a lot more. I can mm -hmm. say that for sure that the, the compromised left hand is helping me practice what I preach in class with, which is off-roading is all about steering with your legs and your feet. So mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm becoming a much more foot savvy rider, I think. So we'll see. But yeah, there's um there's going to be a couple tours in Colorado this summer that I'll be um, a guide on, and then some other teaching opportunities in Sturgis, and maybe trying to get up to Anchorage for August, and lots of things that are pending. But we'll see. And I'll um I'm terrible at social media, but I'll try to keep people posted on our newsletters and website and stuff like that to eventually get word out about what DC Dirt Camp's doing, what I'm doing, because they're kind of one in the same. Yeah, please do. How, yeah. how, do, how, how do you get to Anchorage? You, you have all the bikes in the in the van? and then you No, drive DC there? Dirt Camp won't be at Anchorage. It's going to be me personally getting up there to maybe help out um, another major outfitter, and we'll see where that goes for my career and if that can turn into a, a winter job helping out all over the world with them. Who knows? We'll see. But I'm not sure if being a motorcycle guide is sort of my goal. It'd be cool. But I've known enough of them to realize that's a pretty hard life. Um, and especially with the experience of COVID and now being hindsight, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'd rather be in a little bit more re recession proof kind of job, I think. So thankfully, Dirt Camp has been good to me, even with COVID. So it's, but if you know people that um, don't have day jobs on Fridays and want to come work with me, like I'm always trying to hire more people <laughs> and folks that aren't flaky and, you know, want to be in it. I, I get a lot, a lot of folks applying that think it'll be the coolest thing ever until you ask them to interrupt their own plans on a weekend, a month or two in advance. And they're like, Oh, well, yeah, no, yeah, no, I'm riding that weekend. Oh, I'm going mm -hmm. to this that weekend and I'm going to that. I'm like, well, I'm not. I'll be here working. <laughs> I guess that's the tricky part because if someone rides, they're going to use these prime weekends for their own riding, right? <laughs> exactly. So my hope is to have a staff, like a deep enough bench mm -hmm. that people won't feel resentful that they're working for Dirt Camp all the time, that they'll do one weekend a month. And that's it. And it's, you know, everybody rotates out and I'm trying to get people from different geographic regions so that they're not all friends with each other. Mm. <laughs> they're not all trying to ride together on the same weekend, but I like that so far. So good. I got two guys out of um, Charlottesville that are riding buddies. I got a woman out of um, sort of, what is it? Northwest Maryland and another guy out of Fairfax Um and another guy out of King George. And so they don't really know each other except for from dirt camp. So 
And it's a strategy. We'll That's see. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I hope we'll um we'll see you guys out there. I'm super excited at the traction that people are ha, ha, I just said traction. <laughs> that was a dad joke. I didn't even mean to say it. But no, I'm excited about the traction that DC Dirt Camp's reputation is getting in this area. So I'm mm-hmm. grateful for your podcast exposure and stuff. This is I'm excited to see how this turns out. And um, I don't know. Hopefully I didn't talk too much about myself. No, this was great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm glad you told us about yourself and about DC Dirt Camp. Thank you for listening to Break the Cycles. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and join us next time on Break the Cycles.